Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. David, uh, great to be with you today. And thanks so much for doing uh, the top five at five. Uh, For any new viewers, people should know that this is released at five o'clock, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, And it's really to get portfolio managers, senior portfolio managers, top five ideas you know, in an environment which is really quite difficult. So, David, thanks so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be back with you, Catherine. Thank you. And I also just want to say for, for viewers who want to follow up, um, David Dietz is Managing Principal, Senior Portfolio Strategist for PPAC Private Wealth Management. <laughs> so people can find you there as well. But David, I, I you know, I think, look, today we, we've got to address the macro as much as we focus on stock ideas here uh, because of the, you know, Ukraine-Russia escalation. Um, how are you viewing that today? And what do you even think the market reaction at, uh, it, you know, the morning of Tuesday, 1039 is right now? Is it warranted? Is it, what do you think? Well, c- certainly all eyes are on Russia-Ukraine. It's, it's a scary situation from a humanitarian perspective, of course, you know, there could be a, a full Russian invasion at any time. Right now, of course, uh, Putin has said he's sending in peacekeeping forces to uh, a couple of separatist regions in the Ukraine. Uh, the United States has responded with limited sanctions, basically forbidding further U.S. investment in those areas. Uh, the U.K. has announced some financial uh, sanctions, including uh, against some of the uh, oligarchs. Uh, in Russia, but we're waiting to see if this develops further. I think the key thing that all market participants are watching is that energy supply. Um, fortunately, the United States, of course, is, is energy independent at this point, but that's not the case in Europe. The, many areas, particularly Germany, Italy, and so forth, are very dependent on that gas flowing in from Europe. So if for whatever reason the, the United States and, and the allies forbid further transport of of gas into Europe, that would hurt Russia right in the pocketbook. That would not be pretty, but at the same time, it's still winter. So it would be uh, not good for the, for the European economy. So we're watching that. And of course, even bigger stories here is inflation and what is the Federal Reserve gonna do about that? So there is many, many headwinds here, but as they say, Catherine, the market climbs mm-hmm. a wall of worry. So we think there's always some opportunities. Okay, uh, and you know, I'd love to keep going on that conversation um, because it is interesting that you know the market's climbing a wall of worry I, I actually thought that we would see a bigger dip this morning but but we're not really well you, I mean <laughs> you know we'll so see for the dance sometimes there's the you know sell on the rumor buy in the news so this story really has been percolating and of course if you talk with historians you know, uh, Russia and the Ukraine have been fighting since like 2014. Thousands of lives have already been lost. It's just recently here that um, there's the, been a amassing of oh, well over 100,000 troops right on the borders and has kind of put a fine point on this. Of course, we kind of knew that uh, Putin was going to allow Xi and China to have 
a uh, tragedy-free Olympics and yeah. want to steal the stories. So now that the Olympics ended this past weekend, I'm not surprised to see uh, Russia moving around and rustling feathers. It's really interesting to see exactly what they want. Do they kind of want to restore uh, the old Soviet Union and have huge influence over Eastern Europe, or is it just more a, a, a more crass economic um, calculation? What's the cost of a room and board for 150,000 troops on the border versus the additional cash flow they're getting from the sale of their fossil fuels? It's very hard to figure out what he wants. Having said that, from an investor point of view, uh, we do have bigger fish to fry in terms of that inflation and Federal Reserve. I mean, I always tell my clients, I said, is What's going on in Russia, Ukraine, going to keep you from going out to dinner this weekend? Are you going to not plan your summer vacation? I think most people would say, we hate to hear the headlines, but quite frankly, no. What is yeah. going to cause them to think twice is you know, the rising price of gas, food in the stores, availability of food in the stores. Those are the things that could have a much bigger effect on the economy. I, I agree. I guess the one concern that I, I would also have though is you know when we see inflation where it is and we're seeing WTI at $93 this morning um, and you know to to think about global growth even though you know and we're going to talk about say you can buy ideas that won't be affected by what is going on in the economic aspect of, of Europe but you have to believe I mean they're already feeling the pain of a lack of energy supply add this into the picture picture, you know, they're going to be spending their money on energy, not food and, and clothing, consumer goods, etc. So, um, you know, that that to me is just going to dip the overall global growth picture, which, you know, it doesn't really always affect North America, but it does have a dampening effect to the point where, you know, maybe we don't see as an aggressive as a U.S. Federal Reserve or a Bank of Canada. You, you are so right. And just this just adds to the problems of the Bank of Canada and our Federal Reserve because their job one here is to break this inflation that's been at its highest level since the early 1980s. And of course, these geopolitical tensions to the extent it is in fact uh, increasing the price of oil, increasing the price of gas, that will have a spillover effect here because the United States is exporting so much natural gas to help Europe because the prices are higher here, that raises prices here. And of course, it's, it's a factor that the Federal Reserve can do nothing about. Uh, for example, uh, Michelle Bowman over the weekend, uh, Federal Reserve uh, governor was talking about how the Federal Reserve has a big role to play in terms of curbing demand by ending these ultra low interest rates, but there's nothing they can really do about the supply disruptions, which includes the geopolitical derived supply disruptions on those fossil fuels. So it makes their job much tougher and it does have a, a wet blanket of, um, effect on global growth. So do you think then, and then we'll get into the stocks, but what are your expectations for how many times we'll actually see the U.S. Federal Reserve raise rates, or is it too early to put a number on it because we don't know the answers to all of these concerning questions? Well, I mean, we need to develop some expectations, and I would say that it's anywhere between six and seven quarter point hikes. What is not known is to whether there's going to be one or more 50 basis yeah. point hikes as part of that, or will they each be a quarter point? Will it be every meeting? I think the Federal Reserve would tell you right now, we don't know for sure. Um, we are data dependent. We're going to be looking at every metric that indicates where inflation is, both at the consumer 
price level and also producer prices. We're also going to look at the other effects um, that's having to the extent that prices are going up in, for example, in oil and gas, and that's due to Russia. Um, uh, they may not be as trigger happy because that's going to be a negative effect on the economy that they can't affect. But you know, the problem, of course, from their perspective is interest rates basically are at zero now, zero to a quarter point in terms of the federal funds rate. So they would like to get to normalize those interest rates. So they have some ammunition should a much larger geopolitical problem develop. They want to be in a position where they can help. Right now, they're kind of on the back foot. Understood. Okay, with all of that said, David, and thanks for going through it, let, let's talk about some of the top stocks. Um, let's start, start with Pfizer. Why is that a name that you, you would buy right here? Well, I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, of course, our top story has moved from COVID-19 to inflation, the Federal Reserve, and geopolitics. But the fact of the matter is, COVID-19 has not gone away. We're hoping that it moved from the pandemic level to the, end, to the endemic level. And when you think about what got us out of COVID-19, you've got to go right to Pfizer and its partner, BioNTech. They were um, first to market um, with a uh, <clears throat> vaccine. Um, and of course, they were first to get the approval. They have really shown the way for all pharmaceutical companies across the globe and governments too, as to what can be done by a highly focused, well-executing uh, private company. Um, and so, you know, now people are saying, well, the stock got above 60, now it's around 50. You know, that's an old story. Unfortunately, it's not gonna be an old story. Most epidemiologists say that even if it moves to the endemic phase, there's still a risk of death if you get it. There's still the risk of long COVID. We're going to have to be investing and using vaccines for COVID-19 and maybe COVID-20s and 21s for the foreseeable future. Pfizer, of course, is in the pole position. Now, the thing is that, you know, you love a great story. The question is how much you have to pay for it. But here, the irony is you've got a stock that's selling much cheaper than the overall market and various metrics. So for example, the dividend is over 3% when the overall market is less than 1.5%. So you're getting twice the cash flow in a yield-starved world. Second, of course, when you just look under the hood in terms of free cash flow, you've got about 11% free cash flow yield versus 4 to 5% for the overall market. So, you know, you've got the industry leader in, in terms of the vaccines, but at a below market multiple. But as we know, Pfizer is far more than just a vaccine leader. They have a great R&D pipeline. They've got a new compound coming out for cardio that we like. They also, I like the fact that you know, they've got some of the best salespeople. You know, you can have a great drug, but if the doctors and hospitals don't understand what it does or how to use it, you need someone to explain that. They're in the pole position in terms of their um, sales force. Of course, it's not just the United States. Half their sales are coming in from overseas, and they've got great emerging market presence, which by all accounts will be growing faster over the next, you know, five to 10 years than the developed world. Understood. Um, a lot of great uh, fundamental thoughts there on the company. Thank you for that, David. Um, let's take a look at Boeing as well. Um, that's an interesting story. And, you know, I think one that you always have to get the cycle right. Um, and we're in such a different world, it's hard to know what the right delivery schedule is for airplanes these days. Well, there's a lot of cycles going on in Boeing, but they just finished and hopefully are coming out of a perfect storm. So the 737 was uh, indicated to be responsible 
for several crashes. They had all sorts of technical difficulties. At the same time, of course, you had COVID-19, which for a while made air, air, airplane flights come to a screeching halt. And of course, as one of the two leading manufacturers in the world, a duopoly with um, Airbus over in Europe, uh, the, the, the orders for the planes to stop. Uh, now, I think we're coming out of both. We're seeing uh, signs that the FAA is getting more comfortable with the 737 and various other uh, aviation jurisdictions around the world. So that's uh, coming through. And of course, at the same time, as we just discussed, we're starting to see uh, you know, uh, tourists and travelers come out of their shells and willing to get back on planes. And so we think that that uh, backlog is going to rebuild. And of course, that's, that's Boeing's uh, uh, manna from heaven. It, let's not forget, of course, they have a strong defense uh, division as well. And as we've just been talking about, the world is not a particularly safe place. So we think defense budgets, both in this country and worldwide, will pick up. And they've got a number of iconic uh, various helicopters and so forth that they can sell to the U.S. government. And of course, they've got the space station too. They have got a, a nice foot firmly in there. So it's a leading manufacturer that was under a negative perfect storm. We think it's coming out. The stock was over $400 a share. Now it's just over 200, about two times sales. So we think for longer term investors, this is a name you wanna have in your portfolio. Okay, yeah, the stock's really been hit quite a bit. You know, yeah, that, and, you know, that was this, this storm and that's your opportunity because of, the, you know, the, the travails of the 737. And then, of course, the shutdown on on air travel due to COVID-19. But we think those are increasingly going in the rearview mirror. So take advantage of that lower price and say that going forward, um, they're going to put those troubles behind them. Um, you keep your portfolio diversified. But this looks like a, a, a leader. And of course, just from a from a, a U.S. political perspective, you know, uh, Boeing is our largest exporter. It's one of our largest employers. Boeing has to do well for this country to do well. Uh, it's like mm -hmm. GM was in the 1950s, and so I think everyone's pulling for Boeing to do well. So hop aboard as an investor. Nice. All right, let's take a look at Dr. Horton. DHI is the ticker there um, so in the housing, home building market. Um, what what's appealing about that market? now? A couple of things. One is it's well off of its highs because one of the most important factors when you buy a home is how much you're going to pay for your mortgage. And the concern, of course, as we just discussed, the Federal Reserve is going to raise those interest rates, interest rates go up, and that's going to reduce affordability. Um, so, you know, partly getting involved in a home builder now is saying that some of those fears either are very much priced in or the Federal Reserve, due to a lot of factors, including geopolitical concerns and the fact that inflation may abate a little bit, as some of these supply disruptions, to the extent they're COVID-related, will start to abate. Interest rates won't be quite as bad as people are fearing, and therefore some of these home builders, 20, 30, 40% off their 52-week highs could look appealing. Now, of course, why DR Horton itself? What I like about DR Horton, first of all, is one of the largest in the industry. And, you know, in uncertain times, you always want to go with the biggest, perhaps, because they have the economies to scale. They also um, have uh, offerings in every price point. And I think the biggest secular thing that you want to look at here is that um, uh, the younger cohorts in, in America are finally getting off the couch and they want to start their own families and want to have their own homes. And so most analysts of the housing market say that the pace of home construction is going to have to triple 
from its current rate in order for there to be enough units to house all these people who, who want homes, D.R. Horton is in a great position to do that. And so, but my one concern though, you know, with investing in the area is in fact the increased cost that the builders have to incur and, and how able they'll be, you know, to, to be able to pass on to the consumer. You know, <laughs> the Federal Reserve is worried about that too, which is why they're going to be rolling up their sleeves to try and abate to to stop that or or to dampen that. I, I guess I would say a couple things to the extent that it is supply disruptions, and we know that there's all these ships off the port of Los Angeles, off the port of Charleston, South Carolina. To the extent that those uh, a year from now start to settle sort themselves out that could put a break on these skyrocketing prices. Um, of course, wages is also an issue. Um, and, and so that's something we're gonna have to watch. But here's the problem, rents are skyrocketing too. So you, you, you need a roof over your head somewhere. So you're, you're um, and, and for example, we're seeing, for example, in New York City, rents going up 20, 25% over the last 12 months. So I think increasingly people are gonna say, hey, you know, I don't wanna just throw all this money away for rent. I wanna, you know, put it into a home. Uh, I want something new. I don't necessarily wanna live in the city. I wanna be in the suburbs where the single family dwellings are more prevalent. And so I think that there's still gonna be demand even though price pressures is totally an issue. Okay, um, let's take a look at, you know, I'll just say one thing. I always, you know, I didn't ever buy a lot of the home builders, but I watched them very closely. And, and to your point though, the fact that they're down 20, 30%, pretty appealing. Pretty yeah, appealing. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people have acrophobia. I mean, you know, certain areas of the market uh, are, are, you know, not necessarily even in correction territory, less than 10% off their highs and valuations are high. And a lot of that is due to the low interest rates and to the extent the interest rates start rising, that's gonna put pressure on stock market valuations. So I think it's always important to look for areas of the market where you're not buying at all time highs and you're getting a relative bargain. Nice. Um, let's take a look at MetLife in the insurance space. Um, you know, is part of this a play on rising interest rates benefiting MetLife? Yeah, so, you know, the insurance companies for the most part their portfolios are invested in fixed income. And so to the extent interest rates go up, then the income coming off those portfolios will go up and that's a positive. In, in fairness, of course, they also have a very profitable chunk of their portfolio in private equity. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, that's giving their uh, portfolios a lot of growth potential. On the other hand, people are saying, gee, you know, the private equity valuations has gotten kind of extreme be cautious here. Nevertheless, we still like MetLife because I think that, you know, first of all, it's only trading about one times tangible book value. So you're not really paying any kind of premium for the brand name, for the efficiencies, for the linkage with the uh, peanuts uh, characters to sell their products. Uh, the fact that they're uh, in, you know, 40 countries uh, overseas have big exposure to Japan. So I think that it's still priced uh, fairly low. And again, to the extent that you worry about higher interest rates, MetLife is a company that could help um, uh, profit from it by getting more income from their portfolio. Okay. And lastly, uh, let's take a look at Verizon. Um, why is Verizon of, of interest these days? You know, again, we're looking at industry leaders here and Verizon 
uh, in this country really is number one in terms of their wireless assets and so forth. Uh, they certainly have the best service, uh, the best coverage uh, worldwide. So, you know, then the question is, what's next? What's going to take them to the next level? Well, yeah. certainly the 5G, the rollout of the 5G is going to be big. I think it's going to be big for a couple of reasons. One is ultimately... Uh, Verizon's been successful. I think they will continue to be to squeeze more money out of their so-called postpaid customers. Those are the people who get the bill each month and they're using it and opting for the more premium services and just paying more and say, hey, how can I live without the service on my phone? You know, second, of course, is we, we do have a, a volatile period in the market. There is a great deal of uncertainty. But one of the ways to handle that is to have an industry leader, which is at a very low valuation, has a good dividend. So Verizon has close to a 5% dividend yield. Well, that's triple what is the overall yield on the S&P 500. You've got a stock that's, that's trading at under 10 times earnings. So that's less than half of what the market multiple is. And remember, this is a company that still hasn't come back to its all-time high price set over 20 years ago in the dot-com mm. boom. We think that if the market gets increasingly volatile, people will want to go back to these steady eddies, these kind of utility-type companies. Um, and of course, the stock in the last 52 weeks is over 60. Right now, it's, I think it's about 53. So you 5% dividend and another 15 to 20% um, appreciation to get back to that 52-week high may be a good way to sit out this period of uh, volatility. Yeah, that, that sounds like a really interesting idea. It's interesting to me that it's half the market multiple. I, I would have thought that more money managers would be buying a stock like that, particularly these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there are concerns on how fast it's growing. Um, and, you know, the, the knock would be, uh, you know, everyone that wanted a wireless service, that wanted a smartphone now has it. But what they may be overlooking is the fact that um, these bills are going to be going up as there's more ways to use that phone, particularly with the, with the rollout of 5G. And so that can provide uh, some growth as well. And of course, Verizon has about $150 billion of debt. Nevertheless, most of that debt is fixed rate debts that shouldn't uh, re-rate uh, dramatically in, uh, on the back of Fed rate hikes. Um, and of course, their cash flows are just ginormous. And, uh, you know, times can get tough. We can pay more for gas at the pump, but I don't think we're going to drop our wireless service. So I think there's a, a great deal of stability in terms of the business that can handle that debt. Makes perfect sense. David, uh, we are out of time. Time's up. It's been so great getting your thoughts and, and really um, understanding the fundamentals behind your stock decisions. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And anybody who would like to get in touch uh, with David Dietz, uh, the company again is PPAC Private Wealth Management, correct? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, $11.1 billion in assets under management. That's an achievement. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, we're going, we're, we hope we're much higher by the end of the year. We'll see. We're going to be working on it. Sounds perfect. Great to see you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Catherine. Bye-bye.